Well, again, good morning to you. Um, uh, I do want to just let you know, I was kind of joking about the announcements and all that stuff earlier, but uh, i just let you in on, on something. Um, the person who was going to be doing the announcements, uh, they needed to run somebody to the hospital this morning. And uh, so we can pray, praying for them. And, and just, just so that you know, um, because we've been talking about the devil, I think that the devil is working. Can I just tell you that? Uh, he's been working on me this week. Uh, I know that there's a lot of families that have been going through some pretty tough stuff lately, recently. Just did a very special memorial service yesterday for an amazing person. And uh, honored them, and, and it was great. But can I just tell you, when you start talking about the enemy, the enemy hates it. Because we are exposing how he works. I know that that might be weird or spiritual for you, but I'm, I'm telling you the truth here this morning. And so um, I think it'd be really good to just pray before we dig into God's word today. Does that sound good? So let's, let's pray for a minute. God, I thank you for the new snow. I know it took some challenge to dig out this morning, but it brings a, a newness and a freshness and a peace. Uh, that we just maybe don't get otherwise. And so we thank you for the beauty of your creation. God, right now, I just want to just ask that you would move in this place. I pray against the devil here. In the name of Jesus, I cast him out. He is gone because he has no place here. In this place in our hearts and our lives he has no place we claim that jesus and we pray that as we talk about your word and the amazing things that you have done for us and, and the what and the things that you want to do for us as we talk about that and as we talk about how the enemy tries to keep us from that i pray god that you would just move on us and you would help us to see who you are and who you are calling us to be we ask this in your name jesus amen well, for those of you who are new, welcome to you. As I said before, we're glad you're here. We want you to know this is a safe place for you um, to ask the real hard questions about God, about the devil, about the Bible, uh, about, hey, I can't find my Bible. That's fine. We've got free ones. Whatever the case is, no matter where you're at with God, even if you're not sure where you're at with God, this is a safe place for you. We want you to know that, to dig in and ask those questions. Um, and we are in this series called When the Devil Knocks. Uh, and, and no, we are, it is about the devil. Uh, no, it is not glorifying the devil, as you could tell by the prayer, right? Uh, we are not glorifying the devil, but we are talking about the devil because we need to know our enemy and what he does and how he goes after us if we have hope of defeating the enemy and who needs to be in our corner, our ally. Right, And so that's what this, this whole series is about, is, is literally understanding what the enemy is, who he is, and how he goes after us so that we can better defeat him. Uh, so what we did is, uh, the Bible calls the devil a lot of different things. He calls him the accuser, he calls him the devil, he calls him Satan. Uh, the Bible calls him the father of lies, the prince of darkness, um, just the, the deceiver, the destroyer, a lot of different names are given to the enemy in the Bible, all throughout the Bible. And uh, so, but what we're really doing is for three weeks, last week we talked about the devil is a liar. 
He will lie to you because he hates you. Today we're talking about how he accuses you. He's an accuser. And then next week we'll talk about how he tries to destroy us. He's a liar, he's an accuser, and he's a destroyer. And so today we're going to talk about how he accuses us. Uh, But I want to give you a couple of great truths this morning because I know even last week, as you could tell, there was some intensity, wasn't there? I mean, because when you're talking about the enemy, it's like, we don't want to talk about this. Let's just talk about God loves us. Well, he does love us. But sometimes we need to understand who is trying to get us to not believe that and take us away from that. And so uh, I want to give you a couple of promises this morning from God's word that kind of hopefully will encourage you and, and things I want you to keep on your heart and mind as we talk this morning. Ephesians 6.12 says this, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, the spiritual world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Basically, this is very simple. What this is saying is, we're not necessarily, if, when people come against you, when people don't like you, when people gossip about you, it, yes, it's people doing that, but really there's evil behind that. They're allowing evil to use them against you. And so that's what this is talking about. Our struggle is not necessarily against people and all this other stuff. It's against this evil behind it. And some of you, by the way, I told you that one of the biggest deceptions that the devil do is some of you are skeptical and you don't think he exists. He has got you. Can I tell you he's got you? Because you don't even think he exists. You're in trouble. Can I just tell you that? I'm going to be very blunt this morning. You're in trouble. Because if you don't believe the devil exists, then he has got you exactly where he wants you because you're not going to worry about him. And God says, you need to worry about him, but don't worry because I've got him. But if you don't believe he exists, then he's got you where he wants you. But let me give you a great promise. And this actually comes out of, we very rarely use the King James Version here, but 1 John 4, 4, listen to this, and you've probably heard this quoted, but this is a great promise of God. He says this, he says, greater is he... Greater is God that is in you than he that is in the world. That is Satan. Greater is God who is in you. Greater is Jesus who is in your soul, in your life, than he, than Satan, who is in the world. God is greater. No matter what you're facing, God is greater. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I think it was three years ago, I believe, uh, maybe it was two years ago, I think it was three, uh, Laura and I and our three children, we were, in, we were headed down into Chicago, and it was spring break, right? So spring break in the Midwest is kind of like, well, it could be snowstorm, or it could be nice, you never know, right? It could be like today, it could be, a, well, this particular spring break, I don't know if you remember this about three years ago, but we had somewhat of an ice mix slushy snow storm that hit like southern Wisconsin and, and northern Illinois. And so Chicago was included in that. And, uh, and Laura and I, we had decided we weren't going to go very far for spring break. We we're just going to spend a couple of days, do a little short trip down to Chicago, take the kids to you know, a special lunch and go to the shed aquarium, all kind of stuff. So we're down in Chicago driving through this mess of a weather. Like it's just slick. It's nasty. And so we're going down there and we get into Chicago and we're trying to get to Rainforest Cafe right? To take our kids so they can experience the whole thunder, lightning while we eat lunch and all kind of stuff. And then after that, we're going to go to the Shedd Aquarium downtown uh, and see the sharks and the whales and the shows and dolphins and all that stuff. One of our favorite places to go. And so this is what we do. And so we're trying to get there early for lunch, like an early lunch, like 11 o'clock or as soon as it opens so that we can have lunch, so we have plenty of time to go to Shedd Aquarium, right? 
Well, the problem was, you know, we're a little bit behind in our timing. You know, probably Laura and I didn't wake up as early, whatever the case is. And so you understand, we get into Chicago, and uh, Laura's trying to help navigate. She's got an idea of kind of how we get there. Siri is on our phone. we got the navigation. She's talking to us. You know how Siri's always there? It's like unbelievable, always there. You know, all of a sudden I'll say something, and, and she goes, yes, can I help you? You know, I'm like, I wasn't even talking to you, you know? Away from me, you know, Siri, Satan, one of the two, you know, whatever. And, and so Siri's like got the navigation. Laura's kind of saying, ah, I think we need to go this way. And of course me, I'm the guy. So I'm driving. I always think I know where I'm going, right? I mean, that's normal. Can I get an amen? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You know, you get what you picking up what I'm throwing down, right? So, so this is what's going on, right? And we're, we're trying to get there, but we don't know exactly how to get there. And we think it, we know it's at this mall, but this mall is massive. It's Chicago and add into the mix, right? Chicago traffic makes everything better. It's awesome, right? And so we're going, we're trying to find, we find, you know, we get, basically what I'm saying is the atmosphere in the van was probably, I would call it less than cordial, (laughs) right? Laura's not exactly happy. I'm probably far less happy because I'm the one driving and fighting the traffic and the roads and the slick and we can't find it and we're late. We're not going to get to see the whale show now, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so it's frustrating. Well, as you would imagine, because I'm frustrated, I was probably the most frustrated one in the vehicle, admittedly. Okay, so there was, there was this tension in the van, but I was probably the most frustrated. And so we're driving around, and, and just I want you to understand that my driving is reflecting my attitude. You know what I'm talking about? Right? You, ever, you guys understand this? Okay, my driving is reflecting my attitude. So we're trying to find a parking space. There's no parking space because nobody wants to park far away because the snow and the sleet is coming down. It is cold. It is nasty. And so we're driving around. I'm just like, oh, people never park farther away. Like, I can't park close. You know, I'm just mad because we're late. And so finally, we decide we're going to park in the parking garage, which is actually further away, but it'll be out of the weather. So we go through there. And, and, and to be honest, I, I would say this. We didn't so much, because of my attitude, we weren't driving through the parking garage. We were kind of racing through that thing. It was a little bit of NASCAR action, okay? And I'm in a minivan, right? So that looks stupid, right? You know, this kind of a thing. But I'm just ticked, right? And, uh, and Laura is, is a great wife, honestly. And she's reminding me, Bic, Brent, just, you know, just calm down. Fine. Slow down. You know, I'm like, oh, and I'm, that's what I'm doing, right? whether I'm out loud or in my head and a little both is going on. And so we get to the top of the parking garage, right? There's no parking spaces inside because everybody parked inside because they don't want to be in the weather, right? So I'm like, ah, no, I can't believe there's no parking spots. So we get to the top, and you know when you get to the top, now it's exposed, right? Nobody parked up top, right? And so I could park up there, but I'm not going to park up there. That's, you know, my family has to, Tanner was like one, I think he was one. So we're going to have to carry him, right? And, and so anyway, we get up to the top. The problem is my attitude is still affecting my driving. And uh, second problem is at the top, that's where it becomes slick again, right? And so I'm driving and I turn to go down that ramp to go back underneath. The problem is when I turn the van, you know what it did, right? It didn't turn. And so we're going and, and I'm hitting, the, I did the pump brakes, right? Turn into the turn. I'm Wisconsin driver. I know how to do this. Didn't matter. We're on an incline. It's complete ice. And so our van slams into the uh, parking garage wall, cement wall. Let me just tell you, fiberglass and cement, they don't mix well. 
It's bad. So we crush in the front part of our van. We actually didn't hit it going that hard. But um, anyway, it messed up our van. And so Laura is like, you know, to her credit, she stays calm and all kind of stuff. I get out, survey the damage. Yep, it's still drivable. <laughs> Thank goodness. And so we get down and do the parking garage, all kind of stuff. We get in, have our lunch, we do shed aquarium, all that stuff. But the reason I share that is because it was my attitude that, that caused this, right? It was my attitude that caused this little fender bender. And everybody was safe. We weren't in danger per se, but it didn't mess up our van. It cost hundreds of dollars to fix and all kind of stuff. But the rest of this trip was kind of stressful. And, and, uh, and now that's a funny story. Like, I can laugh at it now, and I'm glad you guys appreciate my pain, right? Thank you. <laughs> I, f- I feel love today. But it is a funny story. But the truth is, the serious side of this story is this. This is kind of why I tell it. The rest of that trip, honestly, I, was, I started getting these accusations from the devil. He said, I can't believe that you started your family trip off this way. Like, what kind of a father are you? You talk about letting God be in control of your life and making sure you don't lose your temper and all that stuff. You preach about this all the time. And and look at what you do. Well, look at the example that you are to your own children in the van when nobody else is looking. You, You hear me? Feel me on this? And I got these accusations again and again. I mean, they came like for the next several weeks especially when I'm taking my van in to get it fixed. Oh, it's, uh, and just kept coming. It's like, you, you, you act like a good dad, but come on. You know, all those things. And, and, I, and I get it. It's just a little fender bender, but that's what the devil used. And he starts accusing. And he says, yeah, you're no good. If you think you're good, you're no good. <laughs> you, you act good, but you're no good. And those accusations are coming at us. And I just wanted to share that because this is how the devil works. I want to explain how the devil works, and then we're going to get into a story that demonstrates what God wants to do to the devil for us. You want to hear that, right? You want to hear what God wants to do to the devil? And let me just, I'll tell you, it's good. It's really good. But what the devil does is he works like this, okay? He uses two different kind of voices or tones, I would say. So the devil starts this way. His tone is, it starts out this way. He starts as your friend, Right? So this whole idea that Satan is grotesque and evil and like scary and all that, that's not how Satan comes at you, okay? He comes at you with sweet nothings and he comes in and he puts his arm around you and say, hey, you're worth it. You, you should do whatever you want because you're worth it. You're, you're awesome. And he whispers sweet nothings and he says, you know what? You worked hard this week. You should go party. You should have that fourth, fifth, sixth drink. You, get, you should get trashed. You should do it. You deserve it. You worked hard. Go get wasted. See what I'm saying? He, 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 he says, yeah, you're, you deserve that. You should do that. It, you're good enough. And, or, or he says, you, you can talk about those, that person. You know, they'll never find out. It's fine. And you know what? You'll get in good with all your friends because they'll know that you know that before they did. Oh, that, you should tell them. That's, that'll be good. That, that'll lift them, you up in their eyes. That'll be great. You see what he does? And he, he comes in and he puts his arm around you and he, he t- says all this stuff and, and, and he whispers sweet nothings and he, and he says, I'm your friend. This is good. You deserve, you should do this. And his tone is like, oh, he just loves you. But it, remember what he is. Remember what we talked about last week. He's a liar. So he's doing that to get you to do stuff. 
that will take you away from God. And then what happens is when we get into sin, when we mess up, when we, you know, cause an accident. Now, I'm not saying uh, I was in sin in the van, you know, over spring break, but I did wreck the van and it was not an attitude that I needed to have. In fact, my wife called me out on it, thankfully, but I didn't listen. She said, you don't need to just slow down. Like, it's not a big deal. We'll be there like five minutes later. But I didn't listen. And so Satan, he, he says this friend thing and everything. But then when we give in to the sin, when we give in to that temptation, then what happens is, you know what Satan does? He had his arm around you. And then as soon as you fall, as soon as you feel that shame and guilt, and you will, because you know it's wrong. So you're going to feel that. As soon as he does that, then Satan steps away and he points at you and says, See, I told you you were worthless. I can't believe you got drunk. I can't believe you had that affair. Like you treated your spouse that way. You've been faithful for so long. I can't believe you did that. But he's the one that tricked you into it. You see how that goes? He starts by friend, 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 friend. And then he ends by accuse, accuse, accuse. You're worthless. You're nothing. And this is how Satan gets at us. It's his tactic. It's what he uses every single time. But I want to claim a couple of promises over you from God's word before we get into our story today. Isaiah 54, 17. These are, by the way, these verses that I'm giving you. If you have the devil, if you have had a rough stretch in your life, I would write these down and claim these. Because this is good. God's promise for you. Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon turned against you will succeed. If you've got God in your corner, if you believe in God, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. And then Revelation 12, 10 tells us a little bit about the future stuff that's going to happen. It says, I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Listen to this part. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, that's Jesus, for the accuser, that's Satan, the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. That means he's been defeated forever. He's been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before God, our God, day and night. God says, if you believe, if you accept Jesus, if you actually have this faith, God is in your corner and he will fight the battle for you and no weapon turned against you, regardless of what that weapon is, no weapon against you will prosper. Nothing will succeed. Isn't that a great deal? Isn't that a great deal? Knowing that you're going to come up against things, but that you will succeed with God in your corner. Well, I want to get to the story today because uh, it's, very, it's very encouraging. It's a good story out of God's word. Uh, it's in the book of Zechariah. This is a book that probably most people don't even know existed <laughs> in the Bible. It's one of those prophet books at the end of the Old Testament before you get to the New Testament. It's kind of that, that, that little span, I'd say, where people kind of go, hmm, yeah, I don't know what that is. Oh, Matthew. Okay, the Gospels. This is Jesus. Okay, very good, right? It's kind of one of those because Zechariah's right before that one. And so the, this, this story is in Zechariah chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Let me just set up the, the, the setting. Uh, so Zechariah is the one that writes this book, and he has this vision from God, okay? It's something that God makes very vivid to Zechariah. And so Zechariah writes it down. He describes this vision that he has from God. And so I want you to picture uh, this, this vision. Okay, there's a courtroom. You're in a courtroom. 
And at the bench, the judge is God. Okay? God is the ultimate judge. And I want you to understand, this is, we, we talked about this in our life group th- this last week. God is not like an imperfect judge, like Judge Judy. Like Judge Judy does okay, right? I've, I've watched some of that just for the interesting drama, I guess. I don't know why. We put this stuff on TV. It's crazy. But anyway, so judge, it's not like Judge Judy, like where she usually gets a lot of stuff right, but she can get things wrong. God is a perfect judge judge like he doesn't mess up so regardless if if the witnesses tell a lie or the truth it doesn't matter because god already knows the truth you understand so god is the judge uh the the accuser is who satan right he's the accuser he's there he is accusing this other person of wrongdoing okay so you've got god the judge satan is there there in the courtroom he's the accuser and then you've got this guy named joshua who's the high priest of Israel at the time. So he's like the highest ranking faith leader in the entire nation of Israel. Joshua, the high priest. And he's standing before God and Satan is there accusing him. You're guilty. You're sinful. You're nothing. You're worthless. And God is ruling over as the judge. So just picture this in your mind and then let's read what happens. Zechariah chapter three, verses one through three. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man, that's talking about Joshua, the high priest, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. So I'm going to stop there for just a minute. We'll go on, check the next part out in a minute. So I want you to see what has happened here. Joshua the high priest is in the courtroom. He's standing before Almighty God, right? That would have been scary enough. And then Satan is right next to him. To his right, it says, standing there accusing him and saying, Joshua, you've sinned. You're no good. There's no way you'll ever measure measure up to God. You are filthy. You are nasty. All this accusation is going at him. And God is sitting there as the judge. But I want you to notice what happens. Satan is accusing Joshua. But did you notice what it said in verse 3? Joshua is standing there in filthy clothes. Did Did you catch that? You know what those signify? It signifies that Joshua was sinful that he was guilty, that he has not been faithful to God. In fact, did you know this? Romans tells us, there's a a verse in Romans, there's a lot of places in the Bible actually, but in Romans, it tells us that all of us are guilty. We've all sinned before God. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. It tells us that. So all of us are in the same boat. And so Joshua, the high priest, is standing there with filthy clothes. And by the way, we say filthy, we we use this word, but the Hebrew word that we translated this out of, it meant like excrement, like like nasty. As bad of a word as you can think of, like this is the word that they use to describe Joshua's clothes. It wasn't that he didn't launder them for the, you know, a couple of weeks. And it's like, oh, I had a little spaghetti stain or something. It's talking like, it is filthy. He smells. It is nasty. The st- basically, this is what's going on. The stain of sin is on him. He literally is wearing guilt. 
And Satan is over there and saying, see, Joshua, you're nothing. You're guilty. You're nasty. You're filthy. Oh, look at you. How can you even stand before God? You are done. He has taken you down. But this is what's great about this story. Did you notice what God says? Did you notice what the judge of the entire world says? I mean, did you hear what he said? He says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Now, I don't know about you, but we don't usually use that word anymore, do we? Right? I rebuke you. You know, how many, how, when was the last time you said that to somebody? Right? Probably it's been a while. Okay? For me too. But the Lord rebuke you. Basically, let me just put it into modern vernacular, modern language. Basically, what God is saying to Satan in his courtroom, and while he has Joshua, who is guilty in front of him, he's saying to Satan, he says, Satan, sit down and shut your mouth. <laughs> no, seriously. That's what God, God is saying, I rebuke you. Sit down and shut up, Satan. You have no place in my courtroom. Oh, that's awesome. How many of you want God to say that to the devil in your life? I hope every one of you in here. And if you don't have God in your life, you don't have any help against the devil. We need God in our corner because God is the one who will say, Satan, that person is mine. You have no place here. Sit down and shut up. Now, I'm not going to tell other people to do that, but I will tell the devil to do that. And I like it when God tells the devil to do that. And so Joshua is standing there, and he's filthy, he's guilty, but God says, you are like a person who's a burning stick, and we snatched you from the fire. What does that mean? Well, let me read the next part, and he explains what this means. Listen to this, verses 4 through 7. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Now he's speaking to Joshua. Take off his filthy clothes. Now catch what he says here. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin. And I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him. While the angel of the Lord stood by, the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. By the way, the angel of the Lord, most scholars believe that this is actually Jesus before, remember, this is Old Testament, so this is before Jesus comes and dies on the cross. Most scholars believe that this is actually Jesus advocating for Joshua, like before he even came and died on the cross. God already knows all this stuff, right? And so he's there, he's guilty, and they take off his guilt, and they put on fresh. It's kind of like the new snow this morning. You know how it's fresh, it's brand new. This is, this is what God does. And he says, you know what, Joshua? Yeah, you're stained with sin, but you know me. You're in relationship with me. You love me. You believe in me. And so take this off and you put on this new garment. You are as white as snow. You are good. Salvation has come to Joshua this day. And he rebukes Satan. And Joshua stands. Now listen to what he says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. This is important. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will, listen to what he gets to do, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts and I will give you a place among these standing here. Understand that Joshua is the high priest of Israel. And so his charge, his role, the command that God has just given to him is he says, Joshua, 
I know you feel guilty. I know that Satan is accusing you, but you are a burning stick. We snatched you from the fire. You have salvation. You have the new garments. Now here's what I want you to do. Follow me. Listen to how I want you to live. Follow my ways. And then I want you to go in and you're going to take care of the temple. You're going to take care of the courts. You are in charge of this. So what I've created you to do, I want you to go do it. So this is a big deal, guys. Listen to what happens. Joshua is guilty. He's guilty of sin. We don't know what he did or or why he's guilty of sin, but he's guilty of sin. And God says, I forgive you. If you believe in me, if you accept me, I forgive you. You're gone. New clothes. And then immediately, understand, this is how we tend to do it. We tend to put people on probation, right? They're like, well, I mean, we're good now, but I don't know (laughs) for future But God doesn't do that. God reinstates Joshua right now. He says, okay, get back to my work. Let's go. We have stuff to do. Let's put this whole Satan thing behind us. Let's put those dirty clothes behind us. Let's let's get rid of this sin. I've forgiven you. Let's move forward. We've got a lot to do. We've got some good things to do. We we, We have to help a lot of people here, Joshua. Let's get this done. He reinstates him and says, let's go. He says, you will have a place among those standing here. Basically, you can believe that you have eternity with God because you've been forgiven. Now, we need to understand that there's a big difference between accusation and conviction. Okay? Satan uses accusation against us. And the reason he does that is because he wants to make you feel ashamed of who you are. And the more he can do that, the more he can do that, the further he's going to push you away from God. Because what he does is he accuses you and he convinces you that God doesn't exist. Or he accuses you and makes you feel like you are not worthy to be. I've heard people say this to me before. I've heard people say, well, I would, I would come, but I, I don't want God to strike me if I would show up at church. And they're joking, but they're not joking. What they really believe is that God is a judge who brings the gavel down and says, you're not worthy, you're done, bring the lightning, here we go. And what God says is, yeah, you need to fear me. Yeah, you should. But you don't need to fear what I believe about you as long as you believe in me. Because I will forgive you. That's why I'm here. And so God convicts us and reminds us of our sin so that, it's a completely different intention than Satan, so that we will remember that we need God. He wants us to understand that we need God, that we need him. And he, he's there with open arms. He's like, just come to me. We're good. Trust me, I'll tell Satan to sit down and shut up. I'm, you're good. And by the way, if he gets up, I can squash him. Did you know there's another verse? I'm not going to read it today, but there's another verse that talks about stomping the devil under God's feet. You will be able to stomp the devil under your feet. That's what it says, with you have, if you have God. Conviction is where God reminds you that you need God so that you will come closer to him. Satan does the opposite. He accuses you so you don't feel good enough or you don't believe in God enough so that you stay away from God. He tries to keep you from God. The devil is a liar. Jesus is the truth. You need to understand, Jesus is the truth. The devil's a liar. Hey. Jesus is the truth. The devil's a liar. The devil accuses. Jesus forgives. 
Which one would you like? Which one would you rather have? Jesus loves you. Satan, the devil, hates you. He hates you more than you can know. In fact, just picture this. Picture the person that hates you the most. Some of you have that person. I know. We, I know we're Christians here, and we say, no, we all love. I know, now, that's what we're supposed to do, but we all know that that's not the case. So imagine that. I want you to imagine the person that hates you the most, and I want you to understand that Satan hates you infinitely, like multiplied by thousands more than that person hates you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to keep you as far away from God as possible. He does. And he'll do anything he can to do that. Anything he can. Whether it's doubt about God, whether it's staying away from church, a, a church body, a local church, whether it's you know feeling that accusation because you have this stupid fender bender in Chicago because you were messed up and frustrated. He'll use whatever he can to get you, to remind you that you're not good enough. Now, it's easy to say these words, but we need to claim them. Because the truth is, many of us in here, we don't usually like to admit this out loud. I say that a lot, but it's true. But Satan's been accusing you of something or several things for a long time. I don't know what it is because we don't let that stuff out. In fact, what I shared with you about that trip to Chicago, that's the first time I've shared that. I don't know if I even shared some of that with Laura. That was, in fact, I, I really didn't even realize, I'll be honest, I didn't even realize how much of an attack that was that week until this week and I was kind of wrestling with this stuff. That's when God brought it back to my mind and I realized how much Satan was at work on my life in that trip, just accusing me. Some of you, Satan has been accusing you. Okay, get this. This is, this is, this is going to be kind of close to home, but it's true. Some of you, Satan, the devil, has been accusing you of not being a good enough mother or father. He's been telling you, you haven't done enough. You didn't do enough. Look how your kids turned out. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you, thought, you thought you're good? I mean, come on. Let's be honest. Satan has been telling you, some of you, that. And you've, you've started to wonder. You've started to believe it. Some, some of you, maybe Satan has, has been reminding you of an addiction that you have. Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's a relationship that you just can't shake and you know it's not good for you, but you keep going back to that person because you're lonely. And Satan is accusing you of it and saying, see, you don't deserve anybody else. You're not good enough. And, and isn't it interesting, that cycle of addiction, right? That cycle of addiction, Satan accuses us, says you're not good enough. You're not, there's no value there, which is a lie. It's not the truth. That is not God telling you that you're not worthy. He says, you're worthy because I've made you worthy. <laughs> Satan accuses you and he says, you're not worthy. And so then we keep going back and circling back to that person, to that thing, to that substance again and again, because we feel even more ashamed. And then after we do it, what happens? We feel worse. We feel even more ashamed. And then Satan accuses us and says, see, there's no way you'll ever defeat that. And we get further and we get further and we get further until Satan has us literally in quicksand, in mud, and we're like right up to her chin and there's nowhere to go. And Satan loves it because he's destroyed you. The devil is trying to ruin your marriage. 
Some of you, he's accusing you. Some of you, he's speaking to you and saying, you know what? That person's not good enough for you or you're not good enough for that person. You need to get out. You, you go. He's lying to you. And then guess what? If you do that, though, you know what will happen? If it's not of God, if you do something that's not of God, then Satan will come back. He'll get away from you and he'll accuse you. And he'll say, see, God, see what I said? Filthy, messed up. Some of you are feeling this way. Some of you are feeling this way. We put on a good face, right? You guys know I've got the cheesy smile all the time. You guys know me well, don't you? But let's be honest. Underneath, there's pain. Because the devil tries to get us to feel this way all the time. Men, women, children, teenagers. You guys see what's happening in our schools, don't you? You know what that's a result of? Pain. It's all, all of it. The shootings, the bullying. It's all pain. It's because they don't feel good about themselves. It's because Satan has convinced them that they're not good enough. We've got to get rid of Satan. We've got to get rid of the enemy out of our lives. We need to recognize that he's real. And we need to recognize that God is there. Because God keeps us from saying, I love you, when we know we should. You hear what I'm saying? God keeps us from saying, I love you, when we know we should just do it. Like, why don't we do it? Why is it so awkward? We, we, just, we have such a hard time with that sometimes. Why? Because Satan's saying, ah, don't do that. That's weird. No, don't do that. And God says, no, let people know that you care about them. Really? He, he keeps us from, from doing things for our spouse or for our kids or for other people down the road, you know, because we, we kind of say, ah, we're too busy. I, I want to, but I, we're just too busy. He keeps us down. He keeps us from, from really digging into those relationships. And so those accusations kind of get us down. But I want to end with this. I have a couple of great verses for you. Again, Satan's accusing you of something. I don't know what it is, but you know what it is. You know. So whatever it is, I want you to claim these couple of verses that I'm about to share with you. Put them up on your mirror. Put them in your car. Write them everywhere, right? Get a tattoo on your... No, I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, you can. If you want. More power to you. It's great. But whatever you do, get these verses in your life and claim them over your life and over your family's lives. Because you don't want Satan to have any place in your family or anybody that you care about. Romans 8, 1 through 2, this is what it says, awesome promise. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome right there? We could just stop with that one. And because you belong to him, belong to Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death or leads to destruction. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great promise? Like God promises, you belong to Jesus, you're good. There's no condemnation. You have forgiveness. And then this is the one that I already shared, but I would, I would put it up somewhere just so that you know. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon turned against you will succeed. I claim that over you guys today. No weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. You put your trust and your hope in God and he promises 
no weapon formed against you will prosper. It will not succeed. You are good. You're like a person snatched from the fire, saved because of God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his love. I don't know about you, but as you look around this world, we need a lot of people to start understanding that the devil is really at work and he's getting at us. And we need to understand that there is a greater person there who is on our side and who is just longing for us to jump into his corner, right? And say, let's go. So that God can say to the devil in our life, sit down and shut up. I know that comes across strong, but when it comes to the devil, we need to be strong, as strong as that or stronger. Sit down and shut your mouth. You have no place in my life you put your hope and trust in God, God will help you fight that battle. He promises. And so this is my prayer for you, this Romans 8 and Isaiah passage. This is my prayer for you. Let's pray. God, I do just very simply pray for that over everyone that is here. God, I know you're aware of this and everybody here is aware of this, that Satan has been accusing some people in here. And so for them, I pray that just like Joshua, that they would not not in pride, but confidently be able to stand before you and say, God, I'm in with you. I'm in your corner. I'm there. I believe you. And I pray that they would stand before you, even though they have dirty clothes on, even though they're filthy, even though they have guilt of sin. I I do too. God, you know I'm standing there in filthy clothes too. But God, I pray that you would help every person in this room to remember and to realize and to believe that you are the God over all things, that greater are you who is in us than Satan who's in the world. I claim this promise from your word that no weapon formed against us will prosper. No weapon formed against us will stand. No weapon that comes against us will destroy us. No weapon that comes against us will destroy our marriage. No weapon turned against us will hurt our children. No weapon turned against us will will destroy our relationships in, in, in our community, in our family, in our neighborhood, with our friends. No weapon formed against us will stand. God, I pray that you would rebuke Satan in our life. You tell him to sit down and shut up. That any voice of Satan that comes at us would just hit a brick wall, would hit a cement wall, would hit nothing and bounce away. I pray this in your name, Jesus. May we live in the freedom of grace and mercy and forgiveness that you have offered to us freely. But if there's anybody here who has never given their life to that, have never accepted that, maybe they never believed it, maybe they've just never taken it quite seriously enough, whatever the reason, I pray that every person in here would walk out of here knowing that they have given their life to you. And if they're not sure how to do that, just pray that they would reach out because we need you in our life, God. Help us to live in freedom, freedom from sin, freedom to love you completely and love others completely. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
get to sing a great song that claims some of these promises. Let's stand and let's worship.